you have your Bible with you, I encourage you to get that out. Open it up, pull up your Bible app on your phone, um, not Facebook, but your Bible app, and follow along in the scriptures we're going to read or your regular Bible. And if you forgot your Bible, bring it with you next week. We're going to use it. We're going to spend time in it. We need, need to know what, 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 our, what our scriptures tell us. But what I want to do this morning is just share with you some passages of scripture that really stood out to me lately as I've spent time reading, um, not just to prepare a message, but just reading God's word for the sake of doing that, because it's easy to, at least for me, to get into a, well, I've got to do a lesson, or I've got to do a sermon, or I need to do this, or I need to answer this question. But it's important for all of us to make sure that we're spending time in God's word just to spend time with our Father. That we spend time in the scriptures just so that we know what they say, not for a purpose, not to study or to answer a question or to prove somebody wrong, but just to know what it says. To know the voice of our Father. And so I want to highlight some of the scriptures that stood out to me. They don't really connect all that great together, but we're going to read a couple different, several different ones anyway. First one I'll read will come from the book of Colossians in the New Testament, chapter 2 and verse 8. We'll get there in just a minute. This week I read the story of Sylvania and her 11-year-old grandson was playing video games on a beautiful Saturday, and she was trying to get him to go outside, and she barked at him, someday you're going to be 30 years old, single, and still living in your mom's basement, playing video games all day. And he said, man, I can dream. (laughs) She meant that as an insult, and he meant it as, man, that would be a great life. Kind of like one day this week, I took Ella over to Castle Playground so she could get out and play. We went in the morning before it got um, much warmer, so it was really nice out there. There weren't any people there, and one a grandfather came with his two boys, and they were running around playing, and I heard him talking to his grandsons about them needing to exercise, and he said, I, he said we were talking to their mom the other day, and it was 5 o'clock in the evening. They were falling asleep in a chair, and his mom said, well, how'd you, how in the world did you get those boys so tired? He said, no screens. They're just outside playing. We're doing work. We work the yard and mow the yard and rake the yard and blew it off, and he was making them exercise every day. even heard the grandsons tell him, Grandpa, we don't, have to, we don't have to exercise today when we get back, do we? Because we've been outside running around here. That counts as exercise. He said, no, you still got to do your push-ups and your sit-ups and your jumping jacks. So he's making those boys work so that maybe they don't just dream of, man, I'll just live at mom's house all day and not have to do anything ever. Many people probably thought they were dreaming. Way back on April the 1st of 1998, Burger King took out a full-page ad in the USA Today to introduce the new left-handed Whopper. I know TJ would be really excited if he was here to hear hear that because he's a fellow correct-hander like I am, as he calls it. He says, but the consumers were told it's designed for the 32 million left-handed Americans. It contains the same ingredients, but they're all rotated 180 degrees to make it easier for left-handers. The April Fool's joke had staying power as thousands of customers seriously went to Burger King and they wanted it their way and they ordered a left-handed Whopper. Duping people about burgers brings a smile to our faces, but it realizes this lets us know how susceptible we are to falsehood, to things that might seem obviously false and a joke. Looking back on, people can take seriously. And if we're so easily confused to thinking, man, I'm going to order a left-handed round hamburger, <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder how easily we're confused when it comes to the things of Scripture. When it comes to the things of our faith and that God knows that he wants for us to believe because it's internally important that we are not gullible about the things of God and about the things of the church that God has called for us to know, but not just know because it doesn't do us any good if we know it and we don't do it. But Colossians chapter 2 in verse 8, 
says this, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. If I paraphrase what Paul says, he says, don't fall for that left-handed whopper because it doesn't exist. People are just messing with you. Now, that's kind of funny, but there's lots of things that we could fall for when it comes to our faith that are not in the slightest bit funny. Because the consequences are enormous. We have to know what Jesus told us to do, and we have to know the voice of our Father. You've heard me read this before, but it comes out of the Gospel of John chapter 10. We're not to be gullible about the things of our faith. We don't want to be tricked. We don't want to have the wool pulled over our eyes, nor do we want to bury our heads in the sand and not look around or know what's going on. John chapter 10, Jesus is one of these I am statements from the Gospel of John where he says, I am the good shepherd. I'll read a part of it. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. Why? For they know his voice. And a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, and they will, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. When you know somebody's voice and it's recognizable, you're not going to be tricked. Now, sometimes we hear some voices and we go, oh, that sounds like that. Jesse and I do this all the time when we're watching TV or movies. Who is, who, what were they in? And the fun thing is to do to try to remember the cheating thing to do is to pull out your phone and to look it up, which is what we usually have to do, but it's much more fulfilling to, to remember and say, oh, that's, that's what they were in and that's what this actor's from. But when that voice is familiar, a lot of times that happens with us with cartoons that kids watch. Hey, that's a famous voice. Well, who is that? Who is it? Trying to put our finger on it. That happened with me just last weekend. I officiated a wedding for a guy I went to high school with. I mentioned this last week. And I was standing up front, and everybody couldn't see me because it's not important about me. It's all about the groom on the wedding. It's his day and nobody else's. But afterwards, so I was talking during the wedding, and I didn't know a lot of people that were there. Some of y'all will catch that later. All right. So I was talking, and I had a microphone on so that they could hear me. And so I walk up in the front uh, with the groom at the beginning of the wedding, and the wedding party is there. And so people can't really see me. They see the bride and the groom that are standing right in front of me. And afterwards, I see this guy that looks familiar. I was like, I know him, but ah, I don't know many of the people here. And then later on, I saw him with his wife. And they came walking up to me, and they go, we know you. I said, yeah, I know you. I know you too. And then they did the thing that we hope people don't do. They say, well, who am I? <laughs> Have you ever had, ever had that happen? But I really did remember who they were. They're my friend Ashley's parents that I grew up with, going to school with, and going to church with. I said, you're Ashley's parents? They said, yeah. And they said, we knew that we recognized your voice during the, message, during the wedding ceremony, but we couldn't see you. But because they'd heard me talk before, they said, there's something familiar about that voice. Even more so than that, I think what John tells us in, in chapter 10 here about Jesus is that we are to know Jesus' voice. And not just we know his voice and there's no question when we hear it, but what also is going to happen is that Jesus knows us and that he's going to call us to follow him and he doesn't want us to be gullible, he doesn't want us to be tricked. He wants us to know 
the voice. He wants us to know what he would do. He wants us to know things that God would never call for us to do so that we don't get confused when our enemy tries to lie to us, when that robber tries to come in and say things that aren't true, but we say, I don't know that voice. I'm not going to follow it. Maybe we think it sounds kind of enticing, but when we say, I don't know that voice, that's out of character, I'm not going to do it. It'd be like Phil walking around with a UGA sweatshirt on. We'd have known he'd lost a bet or he was on medication or something. He's just shaking, thinking about it. Like, it's just not in character with Phil. He's not going to do that. It doesn't make any sense. Or think another example. This, or earlier this week, I had a nail in my tire, so I went and got it fixed. And uh, so I was sitting there, and I was checking my phone, and I had a Facebook notification from Clint Nolder, our friend, or my friend at Foundation Christian Church in Noonan. And it said, Clint sent you a gift with Swift Gift on Facebook. Click here to claim it. And I'm like, man, that's, that's not like Clint. That's kind of hokey. It's these weird avenue of Facebook that I want nothing to do with. So I took a screenshot of it, sent it over to Clint, and said, hey, is this legit? And he said, uh, no. No, I don't know what it was. But I knew it wasn't from my friend because he, he wouldn't send me something like that. I don't know where it came from, but because I know him well, and I know how he interacts, and also I know how he interacts with me, that was out of character. That was out of line. It didn't, it didn't add up. It didn't pass the sniff test. The same is true. That's what Jesus is telling us. When we're going to know his voice, we're not going to be tricked. We're not going to be gullible. We're not going to order that left-handed whopper. <laughs> because Jesus doesn't want us to be confused about what we are called to do and how we're to live. Mark Twain said it this way. He says that there's a thousand excuses for failure, but there's never a good reason. We think about the things that we are called to do as the church. That, that kind of rings true, I think. There's never a good reason not to obey God. There's never a good reason not to do the things that God has called for us to do. Another passage that I'll weave together here comes from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6 where we find ourselves here within this message of Jesus, one of his most famous sermons. In fact, we call it this Sermon on the Mount. From Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25. Jesus says this. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. Is life not more than food? Is the body not more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour of span to his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows what you, that, what you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. One of the things God always does is that he tells us what we should do and what we shouldn't do, but then he tells us how. Don't worry. Don't be filled 
Don't be so consumed with things that we ultimately can't control. But verse 33 tells us what we should do instead to combat those tendencies that we have. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added. All of these other things God will take care of. He will care for you. Verse 34, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Or in the book, This Is Your Brain on Joy by Dr. Earl Hesland describes how joy and anxiety travel the same pathways in our brains. There's not enough room for both of them to simultaneously occur the same, to follow the same path, so we get to choose which one gets access. If we open the joy for the, the gateway for joy, then worry doesn't have an avenue to take. I think that's important for us to remember. It has no room to come along when we're living in joy and doing what God has called for us to do, choosing to live just a little differently, not being worried so much about things that God is ultimately in control of, not being tricked about things of this world, the lies of the enemy, to be easily deceived. Or maybe the story of the great um, inventor and artist Michelangelo, not the Ninja Turtle, but the famous one that came before him. Above his studio in the ninth decade of his life, he wrote, uh, this phrase in Italian, ancora imparo. I know no Italian. I like pizza, but I don't, I don't think that correlates to me speaking Italian well. But these two words that Michelangelo wrote above his workshop in his ninth decade of life means still learning. Still learning. No matter what we accomplish or how good we think we are in our field, Long after his most famous works were completed, this great artist humbly acknowledged his need to continue to grow, to continue to learn. And friends, you and I, this side of heaven, we always need to be still learning, still growing in our faith and what we do and our understanding of Scripture and what Jesus said and how we're to believe, but also what we're supposed to turn around and go do. Two more passages of Scripture back in Colossians, which is where we started. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 to 14. What happens here in the very beginning of this letter that Paul writes to the church in the city of Colossae, he opens with a prayer as he often does. So he's praying for these believers. He tells them who he is. He always thanks God for everything that they have done. I'm going to start in verse 9. Paul says, And so from the day we have heard, we have not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance with patience and joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption. Why? Redemption for the forgiveness of sin. This language in verse 9 and 10 where it talks about that we be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We're not to be gullible. We're to know the things of our faith. We're to grow. We're to take the elementary, the foundational teachings of Scripture and know what those are and then build upon those. That's Paul's prayer to the Christians here. That's God's prayer for us, which is why we have Colossians here included in Scripture so that we can learn from it, so that we know this is a prayer that we should pray for other believers. This is a prayer that Paul, I think, would be praying for us. 
that we would be able to grow, that we would not be easily tricked or deceived, that we would know the voice of our Father, that we would be able to listen and be attentive, have ears that hear the things that Jesus would tell us to do, and eyes to see the opportunities that God puts right in front of us every week to be the hands and feet of Jesus in everything we do and everything that we say. All throughout Scripture, we are called to grow. We are called to be more like Jesus the longer we're a part of the church, to be more obedient and more patient and more joy-filled the longer that Jesus is a part of our life. One last scripture comes from Hebrews, right after James, so it's towards the end, um, right before James, so after 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, and Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 6, this idea, one of many other places in scripture where it's repeated, we're to grow, we're to know what we are taught, we're to know, we're to believe, and we're to go, and we're to do. The writer of Hebrews says this, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. To go on to what? To maturity. Maturity in Christ. Not maturity as the world says or what it is supposed to do, but maturity in what Jesus says that we're to do. And our outlook in life has an enormous impact on what we believe and ultimately what we turn around and what we do. I'll share with you, maybe think about it this way. Uh, Bob Buford passed away in 2018. He was a very successful um, cable television executive. Um, lots of other things. He wrote a best-selling book called Halftime, Changing Your Game Plan from Success to Significance. He and Peter Drucker collaborated together for 23 years, which led him to co-found the Peter Drucker Foundation for Nonprofit Management. Drucker's a big name in the business. We're all written lots of really helpful and informative books. Buford excelled like few men ever do, and he framed a, a photograph, and he put it intentionally in his office that explained a lot about his life and how he went about things because Bob Buford was a follower of Jesus. He was a committed follower of Jesus. And what he did is he looked at that picture regularly. And what it was, it was an image of a pitcher of water in his office to regularly remind himself that God had called him to be filled with the Spirit, not for himself, so that he could be poured out for others. And that image was a driving force not just in his theology, but in what he did every day at work. That constant reminder, that picture that he put in a place that he would see that I am to be a pitcher that is filled to the brim with the Holy Spirit so that I can share that with other people. Simple, profound. Because what service does is it leads us to a kind of success that makes a significant difference. We are called to serve others and to become selfless, not to think about ourselves, but to think about others. Don't fall into the lies that this world tries to tell us and trick us to think that you're the most important person in the world, that you just look out for yourself. But in fact, what we're called to do is to care for one another, to look out for one another. We're going to celebrate that in the weeks to come, with Easter coming, but I'll tell you one little Easter story, then a couple others uh, over the next couple weeks. Laura was teaching her six-year-old daughter about opposites, so she's quizzing her words and expecting her daughter to respond with words. So she calls out, good, and the daughter says, bad. She says, hot, her daughter says, cold. When she gave her six-year-old the word dead, the response surprised her. 
It wasn't alive. But what her six-year-old said is, well, what's the opposite of dead? She said, risen. Risen. We will celebrate that. We always celebrate that. Jesus and what he has done for us, that he has risen, that he has been resurrected. And when we surrender our lives to Jesus, we have been resurrected as well. And we live different lives because of it. And that's why we cannot be tricked by the world. That's how we can do away with things that without God we wouldn't be able to. May we not be gullible about our faith, but may we know the opposite of dead is risen. We are truly alive when we are connected together with Jesus. Let's close and pray. God, it is sometimes beyond my understanding simply how much you care for us. God, for all what you did for Jesus to give your only son for us when we were your enemies, knowing full and well that so many would reject Jesus and not even acknowledge. But God, I praise you for giving us a chance and God, for using us here in this place as the church to reach others. God, I pray that we live a resurrected lifestyle, that we are alive and God, that we look for opportunities in this Easter season to turn the conversation to Jesus. God, may we recognize you in all things. Father, may we be filled with your spirit so that we can pour that out for others. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.